This podcast is proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm the guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've I spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, uh, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle. Please get in touch with us on our Facebook page, follow us, like us, whatever it takes. We would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as I know this industry is capable of. Hey Gordon, how's it going? Going well, Doc. We're uh, in the... uh Build-up phase to the big announcements in the in the coming days. So very excited to see the outcome of uh, the Marketing Achievements Award. Some great talent and some really top-notch people. So yeah, as always, an exciting time of the year for us. Yeah, it is. It is good, and it's nice to recognise you know the top performers. And, and we just finished last week. We finished our Rising Star series, uh, and then we started on the top five marketers with Asha Patel from Google. And today we've got the second of those finalists. So, you know, without me taking up more time, uh, it's great pleasure for me to welcome Feroz Barak from uh, from Discovery. Feroz, how's it going? Uh, how are you doing there, Doug? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. And I mean, just starting off, and I know Gordon will echo it, I mean, a big well done. I mean, it's a fantastic achievement to be in the top five. And it's a, I mean, it's a massive portfolio that you run, um, I had the benefit of obviously reading the submissions and being part of the judging committee. But I mean, just for our listeners out there, I mean, let's get straight into it. Let's talk about your portfolio across all those verticals. And many people are, are touch discovery at some stage, maybe not all, all the products and services. So let's chat about that. And then the second part is let's get into your submission. And it's interesting for our listeners to hear what it takes to be, you know, one of South Africa's top five, five marketers. Okay, um, well, firstly, thank you. Um, it certainly is uh, an honor and I'm humbled by the, the, the nomination. So um, I really am grateful for that. Um, if, I, if I consider what we do here at Discovery, um, as you said, a lot of people would probably know Discovery for its health insurance because that's really where Discovery started. That was the genesis. And uh, it's grown obviously into the biggest uh, medical insurer and the biggest scheme in the country, uh, playing a substantial role in the overall health ecosystem. Um, 
out of that innovation, out of the drive and the, the, the success of Discovery Health, um, spawned a couple of new businesses. You know, one is Discovery Life, which is in itself a very big and very successful business. Um, then we also have short-term insurance in Discovery Insure. Uh, another vertical is Discovery Invest. Um, and most recently is uh, naturally the, the bank, which is a phenomenal success. Underpinning all of this is the Vitality Behavioral Change Program. That's effectively enables what, uh, you know, our core business model, which is the shared value model. And now from an academic perspective, a lot of people would understand Michael Porter's shared value model. And we've just brought it to life in a very specific way that, uh, you know, in, in essence, um, good behaviors or healthy behaviors yield results for um, the business. It, re- it yields results for the individual that can be shared back. That surplus can be shared back to the individual. And ultimately, you end up with a healthier, uh, financially more stable um, and safer society. So that, in essence, is our, our shared value model. Um, and vitality fundamentally unlocks shared value uh, within each one of those verticals. We call this the South African composite, and uh, we've replicated that composite in the UK as well. So we have a similar structure uh, that operates uh, as Vitality in the UK, and we call that the um, the UK composite. And then we've exported Vitality as a behavioral change program, as a technological platform to 30 uh, 38 countries around the world where other insurers, big insurers, uh, have plugged vitality into their systems to enable shared value to, 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 to take place. Jeez, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, for us, I didn't realize, and obviously, you know, I'm familiar with the UK operation and one or two others, but I didn't realize that you'd also use that tech platform across so many other uh, territories. So well done on that. I mean, that's, again, uh, a fantastic, a fantastic achievement. Let's talk uh, now specifically, you know, from the more macro to to your specific submission. So let's talk a little bit about what you submitted, uh, the cases, and then multiple cases you could have chosen from. But I mean, you chose a few specifics. So let's just let's just chat and get a little bit of an understanding around those. Yeah. So uh, I mean, the, the 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 requirement for these submissions is quite extensive, as it should be, because um, I think there's one needs to really prove uh, you know the 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 impact that one has had not just as an individual but as an organization as well and um, uh, I, I suppose for your listeners that which one would you prefer that I that I delve into which one do you think would be more interesting yeah I think I mean I mean I guess nationally and the big drive and and, and some people say it's expected was the whole vaccination drive I mean you played yeah. such a leading role on that. And I mean, again, you know, every day, Gordon, I mean, I see the pothole brigade, so that pleases me, you know, other people would see the fire service, but I guess, you know, for me, the big one that touched everybody, whether you were pro or anti, yeah. you, you couldn't get away from it, the big vaccination drive. Yes. But, but it's interesting you say that, Doug, because at the core of what's uh, relevant to you and what you're, what you're resonating with, fundamentally starts out as a purpose in our world, you know, and, and you speak of purpose-driven brands um, all the time, and and I'm not being um, disparaging to any brand, but it it is important for people to live that purpose and for us for them to demonstrate that purpose. Now, if there was ever a seminal point in the discovery brands uh, 
you know, journey in its life. It was when uh, COVID hit, you know, there was, this was a seminal point in our history. And this is the time where the Discovery brand needed to step up and demonstrate how it lives its purpose. Because our purpose articulated is to make people healthier and to enhance and protect their lives. Now, if we understood, if you cast your mind back to early last year, the difficulty in obtaining vaccine into South Africa and the ability to vaccinate as many people as possible was proving to be a challenge. So like you say, whether you're for or against, the point is there were a lot of people in South Africa looking to get protection against this deadly virus. And so uh, that's where discovery played a seminal role in, in working with government, the National Department of Health, not only to help secure vaccine, but also to be able to distribute and get the vaccine into arms of uh, all South Africans. It's important to note that it wasn't just for discovery clients. We had set up these distribution points all over the country to make sure that anybody who was eligible as determined by the government, um, based on age um, or comorbidity, um, et cetera, to come in, have the vaccine and move on. And again, whether it was private sector or public sector, it didn't matter. We were just getting vaccines into arms. So uh, I think it's, it's what endeared people to us, not, because, not only because we love that purpose, but also if you were part of that experience, we were intent on making it the most pleasurable experience that uh, somebody could have. From the time you engaged in making a booking to the time you arrived at the building, as you were ushered through uh, the waiting time, that, that experience while you were waiting, the service that you received, all the way till the time you left the building and you, you were vaccinated. I think we focused immensely on that entire journey, in, on that entire experience. For me, yeah, I can attest to that. I, I yeah, just wanted to, to say for me, you know, you're talking about uh, uh, purpose. Um, and for me, going through a lot of the, the global narrative right now, there are lots of brands who've discovered the word purpose. Uh, in fact, they've discovered the word purpose before they actually discovered a purpose for their brands. But why I think the discovery case study is, is so well, and I'm talking now as a, as, a, as a client or a patient or a customer, I'm not quite sure. I know you quite, I think it's, we don't call them patients. I seem to remember from one of our earlier discussions. So what, what, what resonated with me was that the, the purpose, the brand purpose and the declared purpose converged, you know, you're talking about the UK model, one of the greatest you know, associations, audio associations we have in London is Mind the Gap. And I think when you have a, a Mind the Gap problem on brand purpose, you've got a genuine problem. So it was the absence of the gap, which I found very uh, reassuring as, as somebody who passes with you. And just coming back quickly, I don't follow it back to you to the UK model, you know, your guidelines for behavioural change. You might just want to drop an email to Boris Johnson. I think he could do a few tips on, uh, on behavioural change and brand purpose. So, Doc, I'll leave you with that on that high note. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, Gordon, you know, and, and I think, you know, I mean, you say it's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but but there's a, an element of truth within it. And I think for us, that was the nice thing about, well, I say nice thing, essential thing over the last two years is that overlap between government's role uh, and and your role, and and certainly, you know, I as as a customer certainly experienced that whole journey as well. Uh, and it was slick, and 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 thank you again, 
not only uh, for keeping me healthy, but but you know the country as a whole. So so that was fantastic. What I, what I also just want to touch on again, you know, just for our listeners out there, you run a centralized marketing department with a lot of people all working into you. And in speaking, you know, with with some of your peers and, and that, uh, you're involved in a lot of those decisions that are. And I want to just touch on some of the things. Um, you understand each vertical. Uh, so you have a, a deep product understanding. Second to that is, you know, I want to touch on behavioral economics and behavioral science and then just data, you know, and again, Gordon, much like purpose, a lot of companies have to add the word analytics and data into their narrative because they feel kind of left out if you don't, if you're a little bit old school. How you use it is always the challenge. And I think for us, let's just talk a little bit about, you know, behavioral economics is not absolutely new for, for you guys. And you do use that to do predictive modeling and, uh, and, and, you know, hopefully make a lot of great decisions down the road. Absolutely. So uh, I suppose let's start with the, uh, with the centralized function. I mean, um, marketing as, uh, as a function beyond each of these, these business units is the only function in discovery that is centralized. Um, and there's, there's a very good reason for that because we operate in uh, an ecosystem. And what we'd look to do with vitality underpinning each one of these businesses is to make sure that our members are part of a very viable ecosystem. So if you're healthy, it manifests in discovery health in a very specific way. Um, in, when you have vitality, obviously, uh, as consumers, you would know that uh, your gym is subsidized or free. Um, you get your, your paybacks, you earn miles. There, there are a raft of benefits that come with it. However, when you start to plug in other products, it starts to explode that value quite um, I suppose, significantly. Uh, if you plug into life, as an example, you know, you're starting to pay less for life insurance. Your, your um, motor insurance, depending on how you drive, uh, yields paybacks for you so that you are incentivized to drive better. When you add on something like uh, the bank, as an example, your, your miles are just... Um, you know, the, the earning ratio of those miles just exploded beyond measure. And if, you, if you're following the news, which I'm sure you guys are, a raft of innovations coming out of the bank that makes the ecosystem so powerful uh, with the introduction of something like Vitality Travel. There is only one way to travel now, and that's through uh, Vitality Travel. The, and the way you access it is through the bank. So I suppose the, the essence of what I'm saying is that the reason that marketing is a centralized function is because we have to coalesce all of these different verticals but build that ecosystem for the consumer because the consumer is still that one consumer consuming different products. And what you don't want is people coming at them uh, with, with random products from you know, different businesses. So uh, the, the marketing function is there to, in, in effect, uh, I, I use the word loosely, own the customer um, because that should be the, in, the primary interface with the customer. Um, so let's move on then to uh, the understanding of these businesses. Now, I, I have people, I, I'd love to say, and I'd love to claim that you know, I have the, a very deep understanding of all of these businesses. I do have to have an understanding of all of these businesses, but I'm surrounded by excellent people, each one of whom heads up the, one of these business streams and they implicitly understand those businesses, uh, right down to how they make money and what, what is that they need to leverage in order to drive specific business results. It, it may be revenue, it may be profit, it could be a cost line, 
whatever that is, they have an implicit understanding of how to run a PNL, and and that's what drives that success. And that's what drives the reliance on my people because they understand those businesses. They sit on those exco's. They understand the challenges. They understand the categories and the environments within which they operate and are able to make meaningful contributions to those exco's. So it's not just a marketing conversation. It is a business conversation. There are marketing outcomes that come out of that. There are deliverables that come out of that. But there's a fundamental business conversation that's taking place. And that's a, a very important point, I think, that uh, marketers need to understand, particularly young marketers, is it's not about staying in your lane and only really commenting or having an opinion when it comes to marketing. You need to have an opinion when it comes to the business. You have to have an opinion when it comes to the customer. And, and that's where your contribution is very valuable. Um, the, the third point, Doug, forgive me, just remind me. No, I was just talking, I think you touched on it, the whole behavioral economics, and I spoke about data, and I spoke about how sometimes yeah. it's in vogue to use terminology, but perhaps, you know, people yes. don't understand it, whereas, you know, without putting words in your mouth, uh, I think you guys yeah. do understand and do actually use the data, and I think you touched on that anyway, you know, with an understanding. I mean, just to just to emphasize, I, I agree with you. I think um, pe- to be in vogue, you know, people are, you know, claiming data usage, etc., but discoveries built on the premise that you quantify and understand uh, the data that's available to you. More than just having the data and using the data in discovery, I think it's the unique ways in which we use that data and the unique ways that we can draw insight out of that data. Um, I mean, let's come back to to COVID um, for a second, but the, the kind of analytics that we were able to perform late last year uh, as far as the Omicron variant is concerned, uh, the data coming out of discovery has been um, receiving accolades all over the world because of the analysis coming out of a health insurer out of South Africa. So it starts to show you the emphasis that we place on uh, utilizing the data available to us because we are the biggest insurer in South Africa and using that data to inform a more macro environment, not just economically, but also from a health perspective. It, it enabled um, the likes of Anthony Fauci in the, in the US to understand what was happening with the Omicron virus for him to make decisions um, in the USA. You're listening to The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's wonderful. Again, you know, just uh, and again, I wasn't I wasn't aware of of, of of the magnitude of that. For us, just while before we go on, and I'm going to hand over to Gordon to talk a little bit about media in a second. But I mean, just an interesting thing, you know, you spoke about having excellent people, and I mean, it's quite interesting that you know if I look at your values and just chatting to some of the guys, one of them is intellectual leadership and liberating the best in people. So it's quite an interesting value because you know a lot of companies have. Values, uh, love our customer, and we customer-centric, and you expect those things. But to to actually go out and say you liberate the best in your people. I mean, I don't know if you want to just touch on that before I hand over to Gordon uh, to chat media. Yeah, uh, look, I, I think there's there's a, a bit of overlap between those two values that you mentioned, which intellectual leadership and liberating the best in our people. We pride ourselves on the level of intellect that is contained within discovery. Um, We pride ourselves on 
hiring the best and having the best people. And it, it shows in the work that we put out there. I just mentioned an example right now that was, that was done um, uh, from our health analytics team and our actuarial teams in driving world-class research and showcasing the best that South Africa has to offer intellectually to the world. Um, this comes through more pragmatically from a consumer perspective. If you look at the kind of products that uh, we bring to market, we are obsessed with making sure that they are designed in such a way that they are not just intuitive and loved by our consumers, but they are streets ahead of what the category currently, where the category currently is. So we, we're constantly looking to disrupt the category to such an extent that it's, in a sense, creating a new sigmoid for a particular product or category. And unless we can do that, we wouldn't take that product to market. So the, the, the stress around the intellectual leadership around creating propositions for our, for our clients it cannot be overstated. Um, you know, Adrian always says, guys, you know, you've, you've got a product, but uh, I, I urge you to stay with the, with the problem longer. Can you eke greatness out of this? And on, on the flip side, don't have greatness snatched away from you. So it's, it's, it's iterated over and over and over again to an extent where, you know, at the point you might start to get a little bit frustrated, but you realize the amount of time spent iterating on that particular issue yields the greatness that we start to see in the market, right? Then uh, aligned to that, as I was saying, is that you rely on great people and you, you empower them and you leave them to do what they do best. And that's when you start to get these results. Um, and that's where we're liberating the best in our people comes from, is that we give them everything that they need from us to ensure that they've got the tools and the resources that they need. But then you leave them, you leave them alone, you get out their way, and you let them do what it is that they do. And, and the results, I, I say, speak for themselves. I think that's it's it's really encouraging to hear you using you know quality data and quality people within the same framework because there's a there's a growing narrative uh, and, and and a degree of depression I think amongst many people in the communication industry who have somehow concluded that data and good people are mutually exclusive or, or that they have different agendas. So I think I think it's a fantastic message to to young listeners out there that good people there's a role for them you know even algorithms need you know adult parenting occasionally so you know it's just a question of learning new skills the, the intellect intellectual contribution at a human level is as important as ever which i think is, is really really critical um just from my point of view um i understand from the doc that in, i think is in 2020 you reached the flip over point with the digital investment from a marketing perspective exceeded traditional media but there's a growing narrative as well around that, which, which tends to indicate that the point of intersection between the digital and the traditional yields very, very important results um, or makes an important contribution. So, for instance, it was intriguing uh, for me to discover that uh, this year uh, the, the world's number one advertiser in traditional media is not your, your sort of annual uh, with a perennial kind of candidate, which would, would, would have been Procter & Gamble, but, but it's in fact Amazon. Amazon is now the number one uh, advertiser in traditional media. So, so you know, what, what are they seeing what, you know, uh, as Amazon? What, what do you see as, as, as the point of fusion between the old uh, media offerings and the new? So uh, 
I, I, I'm not sure that it's new news, but every piece of experimentation that I've seen in our own business and every paper that I've seen, you know, offered by the media gurus um, around us suggests that an integration of traditional media and digital media is optimal for your brand and for your business. And it's obvious, right? So the, that, that mix of traditional upper funnel activity that enables the consumer to consume your brand, understand what you're about, you know, the essence of what you're about. And then when they're on digital platforms to be able to understand the offers that are available to them and potentially make a purchase, that makes complete sense. I suppose it's completely intuitive, right? Um, and I think perhaps the tech companies are starting to understand that now where they've probably been probably too focused on, on digital channels without, without consideration of what it means for them uh, in a more traditional space. Um, this concept of, of ad stock, uh, the ability for, for uh, residents to, to remain with you for a while, I think there, there's a growing evidence around the fact that that's where the traditional media seems to embed itself in one's brain, is that you have that ad stock for a while. And as you go through your day-to-day um, browsing and, and the rest of it, um, that ad stock has a place to play. Uh, when it comes to purchase decisions. And I think people are starting to cotton onto that. I think though, uh, the challenge and, uh, you know, with us in South Africa, and again, I don't, uh, Gordon, I don't mean to be disparaging to, to any media owner or platform, but uh, more and more, I can, I'm concerned that our traditional channels are somewhat compromised from what we used to have in the past. Um, Let's let's take television as an example. Uh, Dwindling audiences because people are moving toward, from a a content consumption perspective, moving towards digital channels. Uh, This does present a challenge for us uh, as marketers because where we we needed to use uh, mediums such as television to achieve the reach that we needed to, uh, we're now no longer getting to those consumers that we're targeting because they're starting to move off those platforms. So it does present a very interesting problem for us. I'm not disparaging, I'm not disparaging of television as a channel. I'm just worried about where our audiences in South Africa are. And um, which is why, as Doug has put it, we've orientated a lot more spend toward digital because that's where we're finding, we're reaching our core audiences. Um, and it's a lot more efficient. Other than that, obviously, all digital marketers will tell you, you know, the attribution from digital is much more precise. In fact, you know, it's very difficult from more traditional uh, perspective. But the fact that we can attribute performance is always a dream for marketers. It's, it's a dream for CFOs and it's a dream for CEOs as well. Um, but uh, I'm still of the firm view. I'm a, I'm a purist from that perspective that it's a, a healthy balance between traditional media and digital media. I do. I am, however, concerned that in South Africa we have, we potentially have a problem with traditional media. I, I think there's some very sound observations in there, and and you're quite right. At, particularly at the top end of the pyramid, the uh, there is audience erosion. Although um, there are signs that uh, you know the growth of uh, 
of streaming platforms has probably hit the ceiling as well. So Netflix, uh, for instance, looking at uh, ad-funded programming um, as a, uh, you know as, as part of the offering. So it, maybe the pendulum will swing back again into that space. But yeah, I mean, you can build a reach in those areas. It just costs you an awful lot more money than it used to. So you're absolutely right in that respect. The ad stock observation is, is also really interesting. Um, if you look at all the thinking around the world in that one, it is a realization that the long-term play on ad stock is, is critical. But that's also linked to building the right sort of pillars of engagement with, with your brand. So one of the issues which has emerged in the last two to three years, or certainly over the COVID period, is the issue of trust. More and more trust is now a, a critical component of the equation and that ad stock uh, contribution towards long-term trust in the brand and long-term trust in the messaging is, is critical. So Edelman Trust Barometer has a ranking of, of offerings from company communications through government communications through traditional media and social media. Social media dropped eight points year on year and, and is in fourth place. Number one platform for communication, interestingly enough, is, is company communication. So we come back to your data, smart people using data to make intelligent uh, communication, and you can build that long-term uh, ad stock of your own platforms for that matter. Absolutely. I mean, one of the primary drivers um, for us, uh, just uh, if we're just speaking leads and, and conversions, is of our own platform. So people coming in uh, to discovery-owned platforms um, and being served um, next best actions there yield the best results for us. As you say, Gordon, there's, a, there's a, an element of trust. We understand this brand. We know the platform that we're on. And the quality of those customers, the conversion ratio of those customers beat every other platform um, out there. Um, and... Uh, I suppose the, the other thing is it, it's, it's interesting for, for the longest time and, and I suppose put, put very simplistically, people tend to trust brands that advertise on TV. And I, I, don't, I can't remember if it's a specifically a South African uh, nuance or, or if it's a global thing, I can't remember. But uh, it, was, it was an interesting observation that you could be pervasive on digital. However, people only really believe that this was a, a, a true brand and it was a brand for them to even uh, consider if the thing was actually placed on television because then it was taken seriously. Other than that, it cannot be taken seriously. I thought it was an interesting, an interesting dynamic that, uh, that emerged from a consumer study. Yeah, no, that, that's very much, and I'm going to toss it back to the doc, uh, it's very much a global phenomenon, the peacock effect. The smaller your brand, the bigger the peacock effect. So if you really want to make your brand look a lot bigger than it is, then uh, television is certainly a place to do that. And that's, and that's very much a global phenomenon. Yep. Great. Uh, thanks, Gordon. <laughs> thanks for us. Just, as, we, um, as we're moving uh, and just changing tact a little bit, as we're moving to the end of our chat, and I mean, we could chat a lot longer. For us, just one or two points of advice. How did you get to where you are for younger listeners and maybe even seasoned marketers out there, you know, what are the skills that you believe and one or two bits of advice going to the future? Uh, Doug, I get asked this question a lot and I honestly never know the answer. I got asked this question yesterday. <laughs> my my, my tongue-in-cheek answer is pure luck. <laughs> That's how I got to it. <laughs> uh, but um, 
I guess I've had time to consider it a bit more, but um, what I have done, what I've done in my career, and I, I can't say that it's the right thing to do, but I have taken chances. I, I've taken opportunities. Chances is the wrong word. I've taken the opportunities as they've presented themselves. Uh, and, and it seems to have worked out for me because in taking those opportunities, moving from FMCG to a new environment in Telco, which I had no clue about, um, and then moving to a new country, which I had never been to, uh, and then moving into financial services, which again, which I, I had no clue about. What I realized now is that the career capital build, as I as I moved into each of these areas, moved exponentially for me because it while I may have stayed in marketing, the ability to learn a new industry and how to market to different segments and how to uh, move from um, a product to a service, as an example, to a different type of consumer in a new geography, it starts to stretch your thinking um, very holistically. And you get exposed to some really great thinkers out there. I've, I've been blessed to, to be working for the kind of people that I've worked for um, throughout my career. I've had excellent, excellent leaders, excellent colleagues, and they've, they've effectively built me into the person that I am today. If it wasn't for that sort of exposure and that sort of interaction, you know, I don't think I could have achieved what I have achieved today. So uh, my if I were to try and turn that into advice, I would say is, always look to take those scary opportunities, no matter how daunting it may seem. And you got to step out of that comfort zone. Sounds a bit cliche, but it, it seems to work because it stretches you. It, it really stretches your, your abilities. And if you're really struggling with something, that's perhaps a good thing. You know, um, if you're not, then, then you've, I think you've, you've got more problems than you think. Um, so my advice is, if, if an opportunity comes up and it's, um, it's growth for you and you're scared, it's probably the time to, 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 to grab that opportunity. Yeah, I think that, that plays back to, you know, what you were talking about earlier, the balance between good data and good, good people. I'm, I'm just finished reading Phil Knight's uh, biography, autobiography, Shoe Dog, you know, the story of Nike. And, and uh, he, it's just a brilliant read for any any young entrepreneur out there or any old entrepreneur for that matter. And one of the things he makes the observation about is that you're going to be remembered for the rules you break. And I think that's it. If, you know, if you, you've got to know where the parameters are, but you, you shouldn't be afraid to break the rules. That's crucial for, for young marketers now as it was when I came into the industry in the 70s. That principle will never change. Great. Uh, for us, thanks so much. Uh, we're unfortunately running out of time. But I mean, from, from our side, I speak with Gordon and my behalf. Thanks very much for your time. All the best for uh, the awards coming up on the 13th. It's just around the corner. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, some top, top names uh, in, your, in your cohort and in your peer group. But I mean, you know, certainly yourself and Discovery are, are, are such massive contributors to not only the South African, but also the global economy. So thanks for your time. Gordon, I'm going to hand over to you to close out. Yeah, Faroz, once again, thanks for making the time. Uh, really interesting and, and such an important uh, message, I think, for for young marketers and young media people as well, uh, which I, uh, I just enjoy the positive tonality. It's challenging. We've got to learn new stuff, but I love your positive tonality. Thanks for joining us this morning. To the listeners out there, uh, Thank you for your time and let's keep talking. 
And so that was another episode of The Doc and the Guru. Please don't uh, forget to get a hold of us on Facebook, like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond. And hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Miller, the guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.